0: Well, good morning, New City Church. Really glad to see you this morning. Thank you for coming out. Uh, Special thanks to the setup guys came in last night and for several hours just figured out how to do things. And as you can see, we're still figuring that stuff out. Um, Really grateful that we have a facility to meet in now on Sunday mornings. Just out of curiosity, how many kids or how many families go to school In this building, by raise of hands. A few of you? A couple of you, yeah. I think that would be the trippiest of all, is, is you go to school, you're a kid, five days a week you go, and then you're like, all right, we're going to church this Sunday, and you walk into your school. I think that would be really hard to do. Okay, so um, we're, we're, we're starting a new series. Before I kick it off, um, I want to give two book recommendations just in case it's the new year and you're looking for new reading. Um, I read uh, several books to help me with this series, but if you want to kind of be clocking with us, there's two recommendations that I would have. Um, so we're gonna, we're, the, the series is called Enemies and Allies. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare Probably the definitive book on that is maybe one of the best books ever written by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. It's basically a fictional account of a demon, like a master demon, kind of sending letters to a student demon on how to best tempt man, uh, the, the man that he's working with into sin. Um, it's really thin. It's really readable. So if you're interested, Screwtape Letters. The other one, um, this is a pastor friend recommended this book to me, and I read it, and I thought we need to do a short sermon series on this, and this is called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And uh, he he breaks the book into three sections, and those are the three sections I'm going to talk about in a second. So two book recommendations to uh, start us off for the morning. So Spiritual Warfare. Uh, I, have a, uh, I, was, I was over Christmas break, um, my boys got a book on uh, how to survive in the wild, like how do you, if you're in the desert or, or in, in the Arctic or something, how, what are the things you can do to survive? So I read it too, just because I'm super interested in it, but the first, one of the first chapters I jumped to is probably the most practical chapter for living in Ankeny, Iowa, which is how to survive a bear attack. Um, And, and then the next chapter is how to survive a crocodile and a lion. You know, my boys will never encounter this, but they just love to read about that stuff. And I guess I do too. But it was funny because, because he was explaining like, how do you know if an animal is being aggressive? And he was, he was listing the characteristics and I thought, that's really silly because there's something, this, it's very obvious, there's something intrinsic in us when we know, we, how we know an animal is being aggressive. So for instance, New City, which one of these pictures, same animal, which one feels threatened and which one is at ease, right? I mean, everything about the lion on the right is different. He's baring his teeth, his muscles are tense, right? That something happens that changes the creature when he gets into a fight, and it's very obvious, and this book was saying, if you see any of that, you're run, you're in trouble, right? The, the, the interesting thing, though, is we have this too. God made us in such a way, it's the, in the medical world, it's called the fight or flight response. Maybe you've heard that. Did you know that, that when you're physically threatened, your body undergoes all kinds of changes, preparing itself to get into a fight, now, your pastor, I have to go back to, like, my middle school days for the last time I was in a fight. I wasn't a fighter growing up. I was a lover, not a fighter. But but your body, I, I, I still remember walking into locker rooms, and, and especially, like, in football practice, like... Get feeling this coming over me, right? Your muscles get tense. Uh, I, I learned this. Your, your, your pupils open up so that you can, you can see better. Your blood starts rushing to the areas that need blood with a fight or with a flight, which is like your muscles and your, your heartbeat goes up. Your, your, your oxygen intake goes up. It's basically almost like preparing for a workout, right? When you get into a fight, when you realize you're about to be in a fight, your whole body changes. Almost, almost everything, all the systems, it's a neat way that God's designed us. The systems all change and you get ready. If you've ever seen in boxing, two men kind of staring each other down before the fight, I assure you, that's the, that's the least relaxed they've ever been. Their body's doing it. Their body is, is ramping up and changing uh, for them. So here's my question. Lion, human, which one, which disposition is it easier to attack somebody during? Obviously, when the lion dad is chilling at home with the, with the cubs, if you were to spring on him, that's when you're going to do it. That's why they give you the advice, if you're going to pick a fight with somebody stronger than you, punch him first, throw the first punch so he doesn't see, so you can at least get in one, right? So, I'm not giving fight tips. I'd be the last guy to do that, but... You you understand where I'm, where I'm going with this. So the reason, the reason we're talking about this is because for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. And I, and I have a hypothesis. I, I have a theory. I think it's true. I think the Bible bears it out. I think oftentimes in our life, we have the exact wrong response to the situations that we're faced with. I think sometimes we tense up and we fight and we battle each other when the Bible is urging us, be at peace, love one another, love one another, right? So we rear up and we fight one another. We have that fight response when we should be relaxed, when we should be seeking uh, something gentler. On the other hand, the Bible also loudly and frequently says, hey, you are at war. You, there, there's a battle going on. It's, it's inside your heart is the battleground. You're at war. And, I th- and, the, and the Bible is trying to get some sort of spiritual fight or flight response in us saying, be careful. Hey, the enemy is out there. He's lurking. Be careful. And I think oftentimes we're the opposite. We don't even, we don't even recognize that we're in a fight. So this is a problem for us. You can imagine the problem for the lion. If the lion gets it wrong then he's eating his cubs and he's going to get devoured by somebody else right it's it's the exact opposite that's that's us spiritually so we're in real danger uh, by being asleep this isn't our verse for today but this is maybe the kind of the verse that teases up spiritual warfare for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil In the heavenly places. So for the next three weeks, tonight is is this morning is an intro. And now I do the opposite. This morning is an intro uh, just to this idea. I just kind of want to introduce you to a couple concepts and ideas that we find in Scripture about the fact that we are in a fight, and and oftentimes we're not we're not fighting it well. Um, But maybe more specifically, each of the next three weeks, I want to do a profile on one of your enemies. You have enemies out there. They want you to trip. They want you to stumble. And I thought I'd do this at the new year because maybe many of you have resolutions. You want to get better. Even if you didn't declare an official new year's resolution, we're all trying to live better lives. We're trying not to trip as much. If you're a Christian, we're trying not to sin as much. Well, you ought to know You have enemies actively working against you, so we're going to spend the month of January looking at those enemies, seeing what their strategies are, and seeing what God has given us to deal with them. So tonight, we're going to. This morning, we're going to look at it in three ways. Uh, Number one, who is my enemy? Let's identify the enemy first. Number one, who is my enemy? Number two, what is my enemy's goal? And then number three, how do I conquer my enemy? Let's pray, and then we will start in Ephesians chapter 2. God, we we are so grateful. Um, It's been said, but you have provided for us at every turn. When the pandemic hit, you gave us a place to meet, um, and and now you've given us this really beautiful uh, facility, and we're so grateful to be able to meet here, Lord. Uh, But we know that that's just the details of, of the bigger thing, which is, God, we want to gather um, around your word and 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 get truth from it, and ultimately exalt you with our lives. Uh, so God, I do pray that the things that we talk about and the things that we learn, um, for me for me just as well as everyone here, uh, would not be just conceptual, but they would be real for us. That we are really in a battle, Lord, and that you really do desire for us to thrive and not to languish at the helm of the enemy. So we pray for that, God. We pray that this morning you would open our ears to the scriptures, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians 2, and I will read the first five verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so who is my enemy? That's the first thing we need to talk about. If I were to just ask you that question, not talking about spiritual warfare, who's an enemy of yours? Do a little word association. Just tell me, th- think about that. If I ask who your enemy is, wh- who comes to mind? No, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I thought that would be a pregnant silence, but it wasn't. Whoops, and then this all fell down. You guys did that, I think. <laughs> all right, we're working on uh, weight load capacity with our music stands. So when I ask you, I think most people, uh, when I ask who is your enemy, they would say, if, if not the in-state rivalries, they would say something like, oh, I don't have any enemies, right? Like we're not in the Middle Ages or we're not in the days where you would, you would challenge someone to a duel. But here, let me ask the question this way. Is there a person that, like, if they walked in this room right now and you saw them, you would you would actually start to tense up a little bit, and you really you either wouldn't want to talk to them or you'd want to go tell them off about something? That's your enemy. So, so when when I ask who is your enemy, and and we'll be talking about enemies, I want you to think of that person. I'm not saying you're the you're the meanest worst person ever, but I think we all have. Don't call them an enemy, but call them people that we think mean to do us harm or people that, we're, that we've been offended by um, and, or that we don't really care to spend much, much time with. Here's the problem. The Bible leaves no room for that. Almost none. Listen to this. It's, a very, it's, it's, it's not only famous, it's, it's almost the, the, the distinctive characteristic of Christianity. In Matthew 5, it says this. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So when I ask you, think of your enemy. First pass at the scripture is saying, oh, Jesus says that's not your enemy. Your job is to actually love that person. And it's not just a one-off verse. This is, it's, it's, a, it's a scandalous thing that Jesus said, but it's also a frequently repeated idea. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, bless those who persecute you, it says in Romans, bless and do not curse them. And then this is Paul, this is more autobiographical, but this is what he's talking about in his life. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat, or or that word can even mean comfort. So here's the first pass. When we're talking about enemies and allies, here's the first truth that you need to know. If you're a Christian, you don't get any human enemies. Not even one? Not even one. And it's as radical a thing as anybody's ever said. Because there really are some nasty people enemies out there, right? There, there are people who in your life who have probably done you great harm. And you can even imagine the type of person where you'd say, well, what about him? What about the serial killers or the evil dictators, right? And as an interpreter of God's word, we don't condone serial killing or uh, evil dictatorships. But here's all I have to work on. Jesus said, love your enemies. And he wrote that to a group of people who were in a a wicked Roman empire that you wouldn't even imagine. So if it's true for them, it's true for us. So that's the first principle. And maybe that would stir somewhat of a conviction. I want you to at least think of that. If you do feel like you have enemies, people that you have contempt against, you've just identified one of the first areas God wants to work in your heart. That's the first one. No human enemies. You don't get to have those as a Christian. So who are the real enemies? Because we do have enemies. Well, it comes from our passage. Now, the passage, we're not going to talk a lot about Ephesians. We're not doing a, a book study on Ephesians. We're just using this passage because it kind of puts our enemies all together in one place so we can, we can look at them. But the first chapter in Ephesians is all about the glory of God and the good things that he's done. And then in the second chapter, it starts with really bad news. And you were dead in your trespasses. And it starts talking about why you're dead, what has brought you down. Um, and it lists... Three different enemies. And these are the three enemies that we'll be going over in the next uh, three weeks. So uh, we were, at one point, following the prince of the power of the air. That's a fancy Bible way of saying Satan. So the first enemy that we often talk about when we talk about spiritual warfare is Satan. He's he's real, he's actual, and he means to do you harm. The passage has two more, though. So not only is Satan working against you, working to, to get you to sin... You also have the passions of the flesh. So something inside of you wants to do something wrong. So we have an enemy without and an enemy within. And then the third enemy, all, all in this one passage, the third enemy is this. Once you walk following the course of the world. So there's your three. Satan. The flesh and the world. Apparently in this passage, the course of the world is not the right course. In general, the way that our culture goes, the way that society goes, is not the right way totally. So those are your three enemies. If you want to see another example, uh, James 4 is a really fundamental counseling verse. I almost, if I'm counseling somebody, I almost always go to James 4. And it's because it starts like this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So where, is this, where are your problems coming from? That's why I use it in counseling. Why are you angry? Why are you bitter? Why are you anxious? James says, isn't it because of something that's inside of you? But he goes on to list and to warn about the three enemies. So at the bottom, he says, resist the devil. So that's, that's one of his counsels for uh, anxiety, anger, any, anything that you're going through, the sin that you're going through. But in the first part, he points to the flesh. You have passions inside of you that want to do bad. They're at war with one another, especially when you become a believer. And then also, he's, this is as clear a statement as you can get on the world. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So that's God's enemy. And as a Christian, as, a, as someone who's trying to follow God, that, those are your enemies. So just in nice graphic form. Once again, beginning of every series, I always thank Kristen Etherington. She does an awesome job. And she did a World War II comic book theme this time, which is really awesome. It's beautiful. It's, uh, we're spoiled with the graphics. Okay, but just to list them out, here are your enemies. The devil, the flesh, and the world. So, to recap, you don't get human enemies. There's no, there's no rider in, in your contract with Christ that allows it. You don't get any. But, but those are your enemies. Feel free to hate them all you want, right? These are the things that you can be uh, um, defensive about, that you ought to be aware of. Now, we got to talk about each one of them. I don't want you to go home and say, well, New City says that we hate the world. That's what Christians do. We just hate the world. We have to, we have to talk about what each one is. But these are your enemies. So number two, what is my enemy's goal? this one is not going to be uh, difficult. It's, it's actually very easy. So when we talk about the devil primarily, so let's call him the leader of our enemies, um, his objective is not, spiritual warfare is unlike regular warfare. It's different. It's, it's something that we have to think a lot about. But the actual what he's after is very much like the exact same thing that somebody else, if, if you're in battle with what they're after. What's the point of a war? Well, We kill enough of your guys that you give up and give us whatever we want, right? That's what war is essentially. We'll cause so much pain that you will just give in. And it turns out Satan's objective is exactly the same. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking, what does he want? Someone to devour. In the screw tape letters, again, it's fictional, but when Screwtape is talking to his nephew about this young man that he wants to sin, he's counseling him because he says, remember, if, if, he, if he goes to hell, you get to eat him. So you're working for your food, basically. It's, it's a great picture for us. Satan wants your destruction. It says this, uh, Jesus said this to his disciples, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And he says also, he was a murderer from the beginning. So it's not hard to tell, like, what is he up to? What are my enemies up to? It's very obvious. It's a war. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to destroy you. What's actually much—well, uh, actually, before I get to that, um, uh, our, our passage actually started with, it's a, it started with this. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's a that's a good piece of information for you is that you are born in enemy territory. Do you understand what I mean by that? When you are born, you are if 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 things just go naturally, if the spirit of God doesn't intervene, you are already in the enemy's camp. You have been quote unquote devoured already and you are dead. So it's, it's, it's funny reading Ephesians because Paul is so high on the glories of God and the grace that he's shown us, and he starts chapter two with, and you're dead, all of you. We start dead because of our sinful nature and because we were born in the sinful world. We'll get to the good news in a second, but this is where we see the devourer as at work. He's well at work in the world. In fact, we're born on his territory, but you also know this. If you know any of the Bible stories, you know Satan, right? He's the one that tempted Adam and Eve in the garden so that death would enter the world and mankind would fall. You remember Job? When Satan went to God and asked about Job, what was he begging for? Just let me, let me at him. Let me touch him. Let me uh, inflict him with, with boils, right? This is who he is. When Jesus is out in the desert, you remember from the sacrifice series, it's really important that Jesus live a perfect life so that we have redemption. What's Satan after? Just get him to sin, just a little bit, just a reasonable sin. Have him turn a stone into bread. He's starving, right? In Jesus' parable of the, seed, the sower and the seeds, you remember what happens to the seeds that fall on the, the, hard, the hard ground? A bird comes and what? Eats them up. And Jesus even explains the story. He's like, that's Satan. That's what he wants to do. He desires your harm. So that's obvious to me. But what's, what's maybe more interesting to me is how does, is he going to do this? He wants you to sin. He doesn't want you to be a Christian. He doesn't want you to obey God. He doesn't want you to follow Christ. But how is he going to do it? Like, is he going to possess you and make you sin? I doubt it. That's not a tactic he has. He can't make you do a single thing. You do have autonomy and will. So what is Satan's strategy going to be? And, and we'll talk more about this next week, but his primary, primary strategy, and this is really the one move he has, but he's really good at it, is misinformation. So if we're talking about strategy, we're talking about battle, right? And you want to know, how can I overcome this? How can I survive? You need to know that you are being fed lies. You're being lied to all the time. From all kinds of sources, in all kinds of ways, and they coordinate with one another. Here's John Mark Comer's definition, which which I really like. He says, this is primarily how the enemy works. They use deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. That's a great contribution of John Mark Comer's. Do you see the three enemies right there? So the devil makes the lie, right? Right? But there's something in you and me, in our flesh, that actually wants to hear that lie and will believe it if it's put in just the right way. And to nurture this, it's almost like an incubator. He makes a world where that sin is actually not looked down upon at all. So let me give you an example, and I'll I'll go for for the top shelf here. Let's say you're tempted to, uh, to cheat on your spouse, you're tempted to commit an, uh, an affair, have an adultery. Well, this is how that process might work. The, 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 the lie begins with Satan. It has to have an origin. He's the, he's the father of all lies. And he, he might say a lie something like this. You'd be happier if you cheat. You would. You would be a lot happier if you did it. Well, that lie in and of itself is not dangerous. If you don't believe it and you say, "Nah, that's not true, you move along and it's just a lie. But unfortunately... You got something in you that might respond to that lie. Well, I want to cheat. And it's actually getting harder and harder to resist. And I have an opportunity. And, I, and on and on and on, right? If you've, ever, if you've ever talked to anybody that's steeped in sin or addiction or in an affair, you're, you're talking to a fool. They're believing unbelievably radical lies, and maybe you have the vantage point where you can see the particular lie that they're believing. But believe me, Satan's got another plan for you. If this one doesn't trip you up, he's got all kinds of lies. And then, of course, we live in a world, this this one especially, the, if you want to find someplace that will tell you, yes, go ahead and have an affair, do you, if, if, that's, if that's you finding yourself um, you should absolutely do it. You would have no problem doing that. I'm not saying our whole culture condones it, but you understand what I mean, right? Like there's, there's groups of people, there's, there's polyamorous groups of people that are like, oh, of course you should sleep around with everybody, right? So this is, this is just an example, but this is how it works. There's a lie and there's, a, there's something in you that's, that, that wants to believe it. And then the, 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 the environment that you live in nurtures it, right? and that leads to the sin. This is how our enemy works. So I want to go back to this, this idea of the fight or flight. Are you aware that any of this is going on? Or maybe maybe a better question is, how often are you thinking about what's going on? Are you aware that you're in a fight every day? I'm not asking you to go around with tense shoulders and just live a miserable life like, oh, I gotta survive, I gotta, I gotta not sin, right? There's, there is peace and there is hope in the gospel. But my first question is, is it possible that in at least some of your life, you are a vicious creature when it comes to what you want or other people or people that wrong you? But when it comes to the things that you're ingesting from the world, The things that you're doing, especially when you're alone and in private, that you're just as chill as could be. The Bible says, wake up. You are in a fight. Something in your spiritual system should be activating. The muscles should be getting tense. The pupils getting bigger, right? The breath increasing and your heart racing. The the, the Bible is warning us, you are in a fight. The king of this world wants to devour you. Are you aware of this? Are you even fighting on the right battlefront? Are you somewhere totally else, and have just left this part wide open to attack? So before I get to the third point this is this is where it does seem a little bit hopeless. Um, I'm a fan of battle maps, and there's there's a lot of cool websites where you can build your own battle maps. so nerds out there take it take advantage. but um, so I built this one. If you know what military symbols mean, don't pay attention because I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted it to look cool so so here. Here's what's. Let, let me discourage you before I encourage you. That's you. Blue is friendly. Red is red is uh, enemy, right? And you are at war with. Let's call him the most powerful creature that God ever created. That's that's Satan. He's more powerful than you. We are not going to have uh, services where, where I'm going to say, now you got to beat the devil out of whatever. That's not the strategy at all. He'd whoop you in, in, in every, every which way, right? Your only hope is, well, we'll get to your only hope. But here's, here's, here's your problem. You are squared against a, a creature that knows you better than you know yourself and that is far more powerful than you. Here's another advantage that he has. He has put you in a world that is full of his operatives. So that fight is not fair either. We're battling against a culture that does not teach the truth. It doesn't teach all lies, but it teaches some truth twisted with lies. And that's, that's his strategy. It's exactly how he does it. And oh, if that weren't enough, the enemy has infiltrated our ranks where you yourself Kind of serve as a spy. Uh, the flesh, you have something inside of you that is working for your enemy. So, I don't like those odds. This is the bad news. You need to, we all need to wake up to it because we are at battle. But this is the first lie and truth I want to tell you. We're going to, we're going to deal in a lot of lies and truth here in this series because we need to be made aware of this. Here's the first lie, and this is, this is for you. I must win this battle alone. Now, you might not phrase it like that, but when you set out in the new year or when you endeavor to get better as a person, what do you think about when you think like that? What are the strategies that you employ? Do they have anything to do with the spirit of God or with Christ? Or do you more often find yourself just kind of pep talking like, I just got to get better. I just got to hack it. I just got to figure out a way, right? I'm going to do it on my own. And you kind of put your faith or your, or your, your beliefs in the corner. Well, that's, that's this guy just charging into battle. I'm going to do it. He sure has a lot of ambition, but he has no chance of survival. So this is a lie, that you must win the battle alone. Here's the truth. I must fight this battle with help. So the first change in the two is, you think you've got to win. It's not your job to win. We do not win the battle ourselves. We do not defeat Satan as an individual Christian. This is actually, and I hope this is a great relief to you, ultimately this is Christ's battle. And you're a soldier. So that takes a little bit of weight off you. The fate of the universe is not counting on you breaking the bonds of your addiction. It isn't. Jesus Christ has won the battle, has secured the victory. But he has enlisted you to fight and, and, and maybe the first step for us this year is just even acknowledging that there is a battle going on and who's on the other side. So I'm, I must win is wrong. It's I must fight this battle. And you have all kinds of help. And we'll spend, we'll spend the weeks getting into this. But the first help that you have is, yes, Satan is on the other side. It's the most powerful creature God ever created. And on your side happens to be the King of King and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel, actually, that we were born into this world that was just stacked against us. We, by all rights, should go to our graves, wicked, totally unrepentant sinners. But Jesus enters the world and dies on the cross for your sins. Basically, uh, uh, enduring all the suffering that, would, that would, the enemy was slinging as, as much as he possibly could. Uh, the comments, the, the, the spitting and the punching and the death on the cross, Jesus took all that on. And then he hopped over and he jumped onto our side of the battlefield and he said, I will fight for you. And that's really all we need to know uh, in general. It will help us to know specifically what the enemy's doing and how he's planning. But the gospel is this. You don't win the battle. You get on the winning side. You, You put your faith in the winner. In in the one true God, Jesus Christ. And then you will be saved. And the rest of your life is joining in this fight that He's enlisted you in. So it doesn't count on you, but I'm asking, what side are you on? Are you fighting this world alone? Are you just trying to hack it? Or do you believe in Jesus? Will you follow Jesus all the way to the cross? So, how do I conquer my enemy? I gave you the lie. I gave you the truth. Ephesians, the, the, the passage that we read for today, actually ends with exactly this, with exactly the good news. How did Paul start? You're dead. You're dead. You've been following Satan. You've been following the world. And also, you wanted to do it, right? And then in verse four, he says this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And if you don't know that or understand that, I'm begging you, I want to talk with you. I, I, I want you to come back and learn from this series and from the scriptures that there is a hope in Christ. He wants you to have victory. He wants to know you and be with you and love you. But what it takes is that while you are dead in your trespasses, you turn to the living God And ask him for help, ask him for forgiveness, and follow him. So not only does he offer us the chance to be with him and to be on his side, but he also gives us allies, assets, weapons, whatever you want to call them. And actually, they fit nicely for each one of the enemies that you have. God has equipped you with something that you will better be able to fight that enemy. So this will be the bulk of of the coming weeks, but I'll just give them to you now. So if the devil is the father of all lies, and if he's the one sitting in a corner trying to devise ways to trick you and fool you, God has given a counter. God has given a weapon that neutralizes that perfectly, and it is his word. He's given us something. He says, when you go here, you know it's true. Whatever anybody else says, whatever you feel, wherever your emotions are going, I've given you something that you can anchor to, and it's the word. So the flesh is the enemy within. You've got a problem in yourself. You want to be lied to. You want to sin. What has God given us for that? It says that when we believe, this is Ephesians chapter 1, when we believe we are sealed with the Spirit. And actually it says the Spirit indwells or tabernacles within us. So not only do you have something in you that is wicked and wants to be lied to, you have the power of God in you. Not just the power of God, God himself dwells in you when you believe. And it happens, it doesn't happen when you reach peak maturity, right? When you've got gray hairs and you're wise and you've got the Bible memorized, it happens the minute you believe. He equips you with, with himself, with the spirit to counter the things that are going on inside of you. So we'll talk about the, the, the spirit and the flesh in, in two weeks. And then the world, we live in it, As parents, we talk about it all the time. What are your kids hearing? What are they taking in? Adults should be talking like this too. What are you hearing? What are you taking in, right? We live in a world that that is just a culture of sin, encouraging us to to go astray. Well, there's a counterculture, and we're here. We're gathered here this morning. There's a counterculture where we're trying to do the opposite, where we're trying to bolster up one another. And we're trying to, if if one of us falls into a trap, falls into the lie, hopefully the brothers or sisters that love that person, go get him out, can recognize it. Maybe they're not deceived in, in, in the same way. So there is a counterculture where, in theory, truth is supposed to be elevated. And we know the truth, and we practice the truth, and we encourage each other, and we train together, and we get stronger. That is the church. So in closing, um, again, this was just, I just wanted to introduce you to the ideas. Next week, we're going to talk about the devil and the word. In closing, number one, if you have any kind of resolution, whether it was an official or not, if you long to grow and to stop being deceived and to stop falling for the same things, then you would do well to know where those things are coming from and commit to the things that God has given you to counter them. The greater our commitment to the word, to walking in the spirit and the church, the less likely we are to fall for the enemy's tactics. But secondly, I want to close with this. You're in a fight. Act like it. Somebody means you harm. Act like it. Know who the enemy is. Know what his goal is, which is your destruction. Utter and totally. He wants you devastated. He wants to devour you. And know what his tactic is. He wants to lie to you. He wants to trick you into believing that what's false is true. And alone, if you go into battle, you will fail. Absolutely you will. You're not strong enough to overcome even your flesh. There was a great quote. Somebody said, if Satan went away tomorrow, we'd still sin. We'd still have two enemies left. You can't do it alone. But you have in Jesus a Savior, He means to get you out of this. And he does it by putting our faith in him. And not only that, he has given us resources, power to fight the battle that is waging in our lives, in our hearts, in our families. Let's commit as a church to knowing our enemy this month and to banding together and sharpening one another that we might not be deceived and we might bring honor and glory to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. uh, for this text. It's a beautiful text. It shows us how much in trouble we are, and it also shows us what you've given us to counteract what the enemy's done. Lord, we don't often think like this. We don't often think, well, the devil's after me right now, or, or, or I'm believing the lies of the world. God, help us to see it with spiritual lenses. If there's somebody struggling with a particular sin, if, if they've been deceived for a long time, God, my prayer is that in a powerful way you would help them. That through your word and your spirit and even the church, even the, those, uh, those of us who are gathered here today, that we would help save a brother or sister uh, from, from terrible ruin from the lies of the devil. But ultimately, God, we just want to do what you ask of us. We want to be soldiers who listen to you and follow you and love you all the way to the end. Help us to have faith like that, Lord, in Jesus' name.